So this book, I put being immersed with or in the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of how I personally sum it up. But let's look at what Acts says and we'll take, take it apart a wee bit. So right there in verse one, it says this in the first book. So he's referring to an earlier book that he, he wrote. So this is a continuation Okay, so the book of Acts is a continuation of something he's already, a work he's already begun. And that is, now you can talk. What is, what is the first book? What's this the continuation of, Ashlyn? She likes to talk so much, I figure I'd give her a chance. Any else want to give a guess what this is a, a continuation of? The Gospel of Luke. This is written by the doctor, Dr. Luke. The good Dr. Luke, and he wrote a gospel. So he was telling of, and he's going to actually say it right here, telling of the life, the teaching of Christ. But this is the continuation of. This is the next step. And this is kind of, this is why this is a wonderful book. It's because we have the four gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we have four renderings, four perspectives of Jesus' earthly ministry. But the cool thing about Acts is this is a unique book. He's the only one who bothered actually documenting what happened after the ascension, after Jesus went up into heaven, which is what we're going to see this morning. So the first book is a continuation of, oh, Theophilus, and we could talk about who this Theophilus guy or persons or whatever is. I'm not too bothered with that. Uh, Theophilus is funny enough, it's a, the word means a lover of God. So he could be talking to a group of people, he could be talking to you, he could be talking to me, but it's likely he's also talking to someone who he works for, Theophilus, who loves God. Maybe it's a nickname. Oh, he's obsessed with God, so we'll call him Oh Theophilus. Whoever it may be, we're all reaping the benefits of it today. So he has, in his previous book, dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So this is what the Gospels are. The Gospels are, and the cool thing is about this is, is how I want to summarize the first few chapters of this book is in a statement would be like this. Now what do we do? Now what do we do? I mean, think about this. You know what's like in life? There's just like there's these big, amazing things happen. Like maybe someone important in your life that, that, that was there for you through thick and through thin. Maybe it's a, an experience you had that was so just mega, so monumental. But then, but then it's over. Now what do you do? So think about that. So there's Jesus. He's been with them and, and literally for the last two to three years has been a huge life-changing influence on their lives. And this is important for young Christians as well as older Christians. Because sometimes we look back about how God did such amazing things, but now it seems a bit dry like toast. There ain't nothing going on. But the thing is, though, there ain't nothing dry about what Jesus is doing in our lives. As we're going to see here, he's going to actually, he's just started to begin. He just started, but we need something. We need something to be able to really experience what God's doing. We need someone and that something or that someone is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So here, in the very beginning, we have Jesus. What he began to do, is Jesus done? Again, 
you know, what do we do? Imagine being the apostles. Well, now that Jesus is gone, well, I guess we'll go get our regular jobs back, I guess. I don't know. We'll hang out, I guess, on every Sunday and just, you know, sing songs about what Jesus did when he was here, but now he's gone. How, how depressing is that? No, it's not depressing. <clears throat> because he's not finished. He's not finished. He's going to use the power of the Holy Spirit, which is still with us today, to do wonderful, amazing things. So in the first book, like the other Gospels, he talked about what Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day, until the day he was taken up. And that's a key point right there. I put it in red. Until the day he was taken up. So the Gospels deals with the time of Jesus' birth till the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he wrote about this. He wrote about him being taken up. But in his handling, his rendering, he also dealt with Jesus giving commands. And here in the first half of Acts 1, we're going to talk a little bit about the kind of how the Gospels in this book of Acts kind of mend together, how they kind of blend together a wee bit. There's a wee bit of a, a recapping going on here. And part of the recapping is reminding us what Jesus commanded disciples to do, using the agency of the Holy Spirit, the power, the person of God called the Holy Spirit. And he gave it to the apostles whom he has chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So these are three different colors because I wanted to relate different ideas with one another. So if you take the blue parts, they relate. So the part that says after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to apostles, what did he command? Well, one thing he commanded is here in verse four, while he was eating or staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. It's funny because sometimes we can over complicate what God is asking us to do. And we get really, our emotions get fired up and we get all passionate about what we think God's saying or not saying. But sometimes what he says is really quite simple and straightforward. And here's the command he told the apostles right off the bat. You know, I mean, their, their learning process isn't yet finished. But one thing he did command them to do is to not depart to Jerusalem, but to wait. Okay, so get that in your mind. It's very important. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. So what's he telling the disciples to do? He's telling them to wait. Don't make any important decisions. Don't do anything radical or radical. And that's people. And you know, Peter is one of these kinds of people who likes to take charge. We got to do something. We can't just sit here and pray and wait all day long. We got to do something. But that, is that what Jesus told him to do? He didn't say do, to do anything else but to wait. In fact, he didn't even say to pray. Praying is not a bad thing to do. But he said, just wait. Just, just wait for something. Okay, so you got that. He says, this is why you wait, because we're waiting for some important, important ingredient, this important presence, this very important necessity, and that is the Holy Spirit. Okay, wait for the promise. That's the promise. The promise is the coming of the Holy Spirit, the immersion, the baptism, the, the filling and the empowering and the counsel and the guidance by the Holy Spirit. He'll, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, again, immersed, consulted, directed, led, guide, influenced richly and deeply by or in the Holy Spirit. Not by, I'm sorry, but with or in the Holy Spirit. Who's doing the baptism, I believe, is Jesus. Jesus is still doing the work, but he uses this third agency of the Holy, of the God, the Holy Spirit. This is God's interaction with mankind. 
So in Luke 3.16, he says this. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I. Who is the he that is mightier than I? He's talking about, we're talking about Jesus specifically, okay, because he's waiting for Jesus to come. John says, I baptize with water, but Jesus is he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whom sandals I am not worthy to untie. He, Jesus, will baptize you. So John baptizes in or with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what we see in Luke 3, 16. Next slide, please. So let's look more at this statement here. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, starting verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles. But last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecute the church. So at this time, Paul was hanging about, but he was in a different camp. He was a bit of an opponent to what the, Christ was doing to the church. And he actually persecutes a church. So he is an apostle later on, chosen by God, chosen by Christ, but yet he's still kind of not there yet. Again, waiting, you know? And of course, in the mind of the apostles, we need to fill Judas's role right now. We need to do this right now. But God said to wait. He didn't say to choose. He said to wait. Paul is there. God's working on Paul's heart. It may take a couple weeks, months, or even years, but he's, he's got someone he's going to choose. But here Paul says, here's what Jesus did when he rose from the grave. He made himself very much so known and present. Not, by a, not just by a few people, by a lot of people. As much as 500 people at one time even, he says. So, he's, so, so all these people have seen the risen Christ as a proof that Jesus is, in fact, risen from the grave. Next slide. Then he ascended, which means he went up to heaven. In the first book, I have dealt with until the day when he was taken up. So the content of Luke, the gospel, was dealing with the thing he'd begun to do and begun to teach up until the day he was taken up. Luke 24 says this, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So here in Luke, this is near the very end. This is when Paul, Luke is wrapping up his gospel by talking about this experience where they went out to, as far as Bethany. He lifted his hand, he blessed them, and they parted going up into heaven, the ascension. The Acts deals with, now that Jesus has ascended, what do the disciples, what's the church, what's, what's going to happen? Next slide. So again, the ascension we see here in Acts 1, kind of a recap, if you will. Um, and I put this speaking about the kingdom of God. One thing that Jesus did do when he was with his apostles, or his disciples, we were going to call them disciples, who were the apostles, is he spent a lot of time instructing them on the kingdom of God, the way, the will, the, 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 the system that God is 
to establish and establishing. And again, this is a revision here next one of until the day he was taken up. It says in verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Power, I love this word power. All the Bible college students talk about this all the time. Power, because it's the funniest word. It's dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from. The funny thing about dynamite is it's kind of harmless if you keep it just left alone. If you just leave it sitting by itself, it doesn't do much. But as soon as you ignite it, it does something really big, really explosive. And that's the same thing with, I think, Christians. When the Holy Spirit ignites us, we can do amazing things. He gives us this dunamis power, this really crazy potential, but yet realistic threat of a power. Strength, power, ability, inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Dynamite. But it needs to be ignited. So here, he says, you need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with this teaching of God's kingdom. Okay, here's God's kingdom. However, before you even begin, you need to have the Holy Spirit. You see what he's saying here? It's an important principle for, for disciples, for the church. Before you even begin, you need the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, with its great power, the dunamis, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. The word witnesses is, is martes, okay? Which is where we get the word martyr from, which means a witness. You will be my martyrs, my martyrs. Okay, and the purpose of being a witness, or the, rather the purpose of this power, this dynamis that, that Christ has given you through the Holy Spirit, is not for vainglory, okay? It's not... So you can live in your little shack of a hole and have a really blessed, wonderful life and have wonderful dreams and, and, and materialistically blessed by the God who's just likes to give his children cotton candy and stuff like that. No, it's not for vainglory, but it's, to, it's for divine glorification. Okay, it's to be used to glorify God in your life, in the life of the church and of disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the, all the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Wow, that's crazy. So again, think about this. He was taken up into clouds. Does that seem like sci-fi to you? It seems crazy to me, but the reality is he was witnessed, it was seen, it's what happened, it's what we believe in, and a lot of Christians struggle today with believing that he's going to come back in a like manner. But the whole scriptures talks about he's coming back in that like manner. The way he left is the way he's coming back for his church. And it starts here as soon as verse 10 of Luke 1. And while they were gazing into heaven, because, hey, you know what? I would be too. Like, did that just happen? You know what I'm saying? I'd be gazing for a long time thinking to myself, this is weird. This is unique. He just got sucked into the clouds because it's a unique thing. It's weird. So they're sitting there, it's like, and then it gets even weirder because then these two men, possibly angels, appeared. And they say to them, next slide. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. But wait, certainly you're not serious, crazy, strange men standing suddenly before us. 
Certainly you aren't angels. Certainly you don't have any kind of authority to tell us these things. No. This is God speaking. This is God communicating. And he's using these messengers. Another word for angel is a messenger. These messengers to give a message to these disciples. Jesus is coming back, guys. And this is meant to be a great encouragement to the disciples then, to us now, in regards to many aspects of our lives, including when we lose someone dear to us. Okay? Revelation 1 agrees with the angels. Revelation 1, and this is from the words of Christ's own mouth, says, Behold, in verse 7, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So here in Revelation 1, we see that when Christ returns, every eye will see him. It'll be abundantly clear to all. First Thessalonians 4 says this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. So the idea, first of all, is this is reality. This isn't just a, a positive feeling. Oh, I'm feeling raptured today. No, this is an actual event that everyone's going to see. It's going to be a massive, universal, this is going to be a radical event that's going to disrupt human history as we know it. Christ will come. He will be seen. He will be known. He will be acknowledged as a Lord. And we will all be caught up with him. The dead in Christ as well as the living in Christ. This is meant to be an encouragement to us all. That's why he says, Paul here speaking, encourage one another with these words. Next slide. So like I said before, now Jesus is gone. What do we do now? Now what? Well, what did he say to do? That's what we do. We do what he says to do. That's what we do. We do exactly what he says to do. Now what do we do? Jesus is gone. He's not here to actually lead us by the hand. You know, okay, disciples, follow me. That's kind of how he was like. That's how I see the gospels. Okay, guys, follow me. And then you have the multitude as well who followed because they were interested in the miracles and the wonders and the signs and all the fluff. But Jesus had to literally hold by the hands. But, but now that he's gone, what are they going to do? Well, it's simple. They do what he says to do. And they keep doing it. And they don't lose heart. They don't get tired. They don't grow weary. They just keep doing it. But what he said to them was really quite simple. Again, verse 4, it says, He ordered them to do what? Not to leave Jerusalem, but to what? Wait. Wait for this promise the Father has promised to him. Or them. Next slide. So staying in Jerusalem as ordered. Good guys. Good, good, good guys. They did the first thing they did. What they did was right. In Acts 1.12, they returned to Jerusalem. Good. From the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. In other words, it was close by. So they got to it. Easily, they stayed in a place called the upper room. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying. Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they did what they were told. They returned to Jerusalem and they begun to wait. 
Jesus didn't ask them to pray, and they prayed. I think that's good. Prayer is good. It's good. Prayer is very important. Next slide. But the Holy Spirit is necessary. Imagine a life. I know a lot of people who hate God, despise him, reject him, they'll give him the time of the day, but when they get in trouble, they all of a sudden turn on the prayer button. Well, I'll just, I guess I'll pray to God because I'm really drunk right now and I'm hungover and I'll never do it again. Please, God. Do you think God really honors that prayer? God honors prayer that is led and guided and filled with not only reverence of whom you're speaking to, but the presence of the Holy Spirit. So prayer is good, but the Holy Spirit is necessary. Here they're about ready to make a very important decision without consulting the Holy Spirit. Why do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. Did Jesus say, go make big decisions? Or did Jesus say, to wait? What did he say? He said, to wait. Now again, whether or not this was right or wrong can be debated, I, I'm a strong believer that, that they shouldn't have done this because Jesus didn't say go out and choose an apostle to fill in the shoes of Judas. I believe that that was Paul. And Paul already was chosen, like we read in the scriptures before. And it was just a matter of time. But the thing is, humans don't like to wait. They want immediate gratification. We need to do it now so that we can be ready to go when the Holy Spirit comes. But don't you know, foolish Peter, the Holy Spirit hasn't, you need the Holy Spirit to make these right choices. So again, in those days, verse 15, Peter stood up among them, impulsive Peter, cutting people's ears off without the Holy Spirit, saying he'll never deny Jesus, but deny him passionately, you know, without the Holy Spirit, Peter. And Peter without the Holy Spirit was a pretty silly guy. Why? Another reason why he needs the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took that crazy, impulsive man and turned him into a powerful evangelist, a powerful, wonderful apostle, who did mighty things for God. Without the Holy Spirit, he just blundered. Now, is this a blunder? Again, that's open for debate. But, okay, I think it's a bit of a blunder myself. Okay, brothers, and there's a couple reasons why. We'll get there in a moment. So he says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among all or us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. That's some fun. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was ca- called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. Next slide. It's funny how they're also using various portions of scriptures and, and proverbs and psalms as well, which is, goes to show you without the Holy Spirit, you can also possibly misuse scriptures. You know, think about it, you know? Like I, I like to use that example of how like, you know, the atheist can say that the Bible says that there is no God. Right? That's, that's a handling of scriptures. The Bible does say that there is no God. But it's out of context. It says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. You see, so even Satan, didn't he not use scriptures when he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? So just using the scriptures alone isn't enough to make you right on. Okay? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You need the Holy Spirit and its influence to, to help you with your prayer life, to help you with your study life. 
to help you with important decisions you make in life. That's why we need to wait for the Holy Spirit. So going on the story, so one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must be become a witness to his resurrection. Again, it's kind of interesting because a lot of times we look, we wonder, is this a real biblical criteria or not? Unfortunately, if I'm right and he's speaking out of line here about the power of the Holy Spirit, then we wonder, is this a real criteria or not? Now, he could be right. And this might be a really good criteria. Paul did see Jesus resurrected on the road to Damascus. He saw Jesus. In fact, he, it's, 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 it's actually believed that he encountered him several times in the physical. Paul attests to that in his writings. But he wasn't there with Jesus from the beginning at the baptism. So by this criteria, Paul wouldn't be an apostle, right? But again, is he right in making this assertion? Again, I don't think really he is. So 23, and they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was called Justice and Matthias. And one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they, what did they do? They cast lots for them. You know what that means? It's, it's, it's very similar to say like grabbing your dice and throwing on the ground and making decisions. Who shall be the next prime minister? Let's throw our dice and see. Do you think that's a good way to make decisions? Okay, well, I put some commentary here just in case I forgot to say it in real life. Here's the folly. Here's, here's, where the, here's where the problem, well, the problem begins with not waiting, okay? Being impulsive. But the problem gets really weird when you start casting for lots. This is a common practice, okay? Just because it's common doesn't mean it's right, though. It's a common practice at the time that involves chance and pagan divination. So they actually believe, A, it's, it's, it's a chance to make a choice. But more than that, they believe that there was a divine influence upon the lots, so this is them channeling. It's, it's, it's pagan culture, ritual. It, it's, it's nothing, Christ never once said when, when I'm away and you to cast lots. He never told them to do that. It was a common practice amongst the pagans, but not for, that's not, never what Christ wanted. He wanted them to make choices. Wise choices using the Holy Spirit's influence. This form of decision making is totally inappropriate and wise, unwise. Today, if you want to make it today applicable, today we may not throw dice to make important life decisions, but how much do we leave to chance? Do we let life just happen to us? You know what I'm saying? Well, let's let God carry me on the wave of just such, you know, circumstances. That's very similar. My opinion is throwing dice. Just whatever happens, happens. Or do we let the Holy Spirit, active, not passive, active, Holy Spirit, Take charge and give us real decision-making power. Final slide. Okay, guys, things are going to get really good for the disciples. Okay, so did they make? Did they fail in chapter one? Did they not fail? Again, it's open to argument. I personally think that they shouldn't have done that. Again, this Matthias guy. Does anyone know what actually happened to him? I, I, I'm sure there's traditions out there that say, I mean, I didn't even bother looking at my commentaries because I just kind of reckon that he didn't do much nothing. You know what I'm saying? I figured, Matthias, you didn't do hee-haw. I, mean, I could be wrong. I mean, but the thing is, I don't think he did anything. But I know Paul, and by contrast, think about this, but by contrast, look at Paul. Did he do a lot for Christ? Yeah, he did. 
So things will get better for disciples once the Holy Spirit comes. That's why Jesus said to do what? Wait. Wait. 